May the force be with you on this episode of Pushback. If you're concerned about the direction our culture is heading, then maybe it's time to push back. Greetings, everyone. This is Dr. Johnny, and this is another episode of Pushback. It is my uh, true pleasure to share my heart with you every week about things that are happening in this world, culturally relevant issues to us as Christian families. And if we're concerned about the direction our culture is heading, then maybe it's time to push back. And we are the ones. We are the ambassadors of heaven here on this earth. We are the culture setters. And so it is my pleasure to share my heart every week. I think that I'm going to actually be starting a series of podcasts that tie together only because of my incredible passion uh, for this topic. My wife and I just returned uh, from uh, doing our ultimate marriage course. Um, We do this at Wilderness Fellowship uh, just over the border in Wisconsin. And uh, we had an incredible weekend. I really believe that uh, lives and marriages were transformed. And so if you are a new listener from that group, um, as many people seemed very interested in this podcast, I welcome you to it. And I'm glad you're here for this one, if this is your first, because This is going to be very central to my heart and the things that are stirring in my life and my heart today. Uh, Before I get into that, though, I always want to update you on vaccines and facts about the vax. Um, I have a series of podcasts if you're interested in that specific topic and my perspective as a physician uh, in regards to the vaccine and what is happening in culture and some of the concerns that have been raised uh, in the Christian environment and as well as in the world in general. Uh, There has been a pause Uh, last week in the Johnson & Johnson COVID-19 vaccine. Um, And I'm happy to report that just about two or three days ago, this pause has already been lifted. It wasn't a ban. It wasn't a hold. It wasn't a stop. It was a pause uh, just to try to investigate uh, a very rare uh, side effect, something called TTS. Are you ready for this? Thrombosis, thrombocytopenia syndrome. Uh, This happens very rarely. It's a blood clotting disorder causing blood clots. Um, They found this in six cases only, and it was extremely rare. And uh, and that's in regards to the tens of millions of vaccines that have already been given. Uh, They had six cases. Because they're being vigilant, though, they put a pause on it, uh, and they found out um, in a staggering fashion that the benefits of taking the vaccine still way outweigh the risks. And so they quickly pulled this um, pause off, and uh, now the Johnson & Johnson vaccine is still good to go. Um, it's uh, Let me just give you a little bit of an idea of how rare this is. Um, I heard from my colleagues that it is, a, ready for this, 0. 0.00000. 8824% chance. <laughs> That's five five zeros. 
It's extremely rare. In fact, I read somewhere, I think that you're six times more likely to get struck struck by lightning. So, And obviously, without even a doubt, you're much more likely to have complications from actually getting COVID than you ever would from getting the COVID vaccine. And so uh, all of the, um, the studies, all of the um, public service announcements that have come out over the last couple of days is that you should have confidence in the vaccine, that it's safe, it's effective, death rates are going down, um, and that is what we want. And so, uh, so don't let that give you any pause if you're considering getting the vaccine. As you probably know, it's open to all ages over the age of 16. And um, I highly recommend that you still consider this. If you're in doubt, um, uh, please listen to my previous podcasts, all entitled Facts About the Vax, different topics therein. Um, And I encourage you just to lean into it. So just that you're Decision is an informed decision, not based out of fear or uh, random things on Facebook and the internet. So I appreciate you uh, leaning into that and taking care of your family. It's your decision. And I'm just, my heart is that you would have an informed decision. All right, I better keep moving here. So last week I did a podcast entitled Remember. And I quoted uh, Winston Churchill, who I think also requoted this, that those that fail to learn from history are doomed to repeat it. And I added a little extra phrase, a Dr. Johnny phrase onto it, that those that learn from history are destined to make it. And I, um, I really want to lean into that as I transition into the topic today. As many of you who have been my regular listeners know, that um, there's there's something burning inside of me, and I I am going to try to keep my emotion in check because this is a very personal um, uh, journey that I am on, and some things that the Lord is drawing me to into in regards to culture and the issue of abortion. I released a podcast on August twenty uh, in August of twenty twenty. It's titled, When Does Life Begin? And I I always call it the one question. It's the only question that really matters in that we need to be able to engage the world in conversation about this and not just say, hey, the Bible says, even though we know that's the foundation about which all our faith is built, um, we need to be able to engage the culture from a a moral standpoint um, and a humanistic standpoint that Uh, When Does Life Begin? And so please go back and listen to that podcast or refresh yourself if you've already heard it. I think it'll be very helpful as we go forward uh, because this is so central to my heart and I refuse to move past it. Um, We need to uh, not become complacent and let things fade or drift away, but we actually need to rise up in this times. I believe that the, 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 uh, the cultural atmosphere currently is actually ripe for this. This is really what I believe. I say that prophetically, but I also say this just practically um, in regards to Supreme Court issues, in, in regards to recent polling. These are things that I'm going to release to you over the next couple of weeks. We were uh, camping uh, probably, I think, just this last summer uh, with my my two younger children, and, and we flipped in the movie Amazing Grace. And if you haven't seen that movie for a while, I, I really recommend it, and especially if you really want to lean into what we're going to be talking about over the next couple of weeks. Um, this is obviously a movie about uh, William Wilberforce. And I've really leaned into him and his life 
um, I mentioned it to my mom and my mom is a, a bookworm, <laughs> always has been. And of course she had a book on William Wilberforce, which was amazing. I, you know, I watched this movie and I, within five minutes, um, I had goosebumps in my arms and down my back and I've seen the movie before. And yet I was emotionally undone. I, I was weeping. I was connected. Um, I felt like um, this movie seemed to be randomly picked, but I, I felt like there was a Holy Spirit divine moment for me as this movie started and, and I connected to it. So I asked my mom for this book and she um, sent it to me actually on my birthday. And I've been uh, reading it um, over, I guess, what would that be, four to five months, uh, reading uh, the, the uh, biography of William Wilberforce. And I believe from the standpoint of, you know, those that learn from history are destined to make it. Um, I believe we need to learn from this man who did the impossible. He did the impossible. For those that you don't know, William Wilberforce was a, a cultural reformist um, in uh, the 19th century in England. And he, um, with a group of fellow followers, were responsible for the overturning of the slave trade in the English in, in England and their colonies. Uh, he was a, a profound Christian. In fact, he had a very profound Christian experience that transformed him. He was sort of a man of the world until the Holy Spirit actually apprehended him. And he apprehended him so much, and he was already entrenched in politics to such a degree that he didn't know if he actually could continue to do politics. In fact, he, in fact, he made the decision to leave because of the, the dirty aspect of being a politician. And, and because he was so profoundly affected by the power of the Holy Spirit in his life. He didn't know if those two worlds could really mesh. And it was interesting. It was William Pitt, who became the future prime minister of England, and several others in the political realm that actually convinced him to stay, convincing him that he was in the right place for the right time, and that his Christian experience didn't disqualify him. It actually enabled him to actually enter into the world of politics and bring about real change. And so he heeded the advice of, of those people and others um, and, and continued on in politics and ended up changing the course of human history. So... I have been leaning into this and, and, and feel such a strong pull and connection to this story. I then shortly thereafter read an article um, that was written in January 19th of 2018 by a gal named Gracie Olmstead. And it was in the Gospel Coalition, um, basically online magazine. And I will just tell you, uh, my listeners, that um, this article has transformed me. Profoundly, I, I've I've listened and reread every one of these words in this article written by this gal who I don't know if I'll ever meet. But I feel like it sparked something in me, something very important. And so I'm going to read portions of what she wrote to you today, if you'll uh, bear with me in this. And it directly ties uh, to uh, William Wilberforce. The name of the article is, is the, the pro-life movement needs more Wilberforces. 
The pro-life movement needs more Wilberforces. This is by Gracie Olmsted. And so I'm just going to pull out and encapsulate a couple things that she said. She starts by saying the pro-life movement has always been animated by compassion and a zeal for human rights. But if you ask people on the streets whether they associate those two things with the pro-life movement, I wonder how many would agree. Recently, our pro-life political representatives around the country have been less than inspiring. And she goes on to actually give quite a few examples, um, which I won't share because I don't want to be dishonoring in any way. But I share her frustration in what we've been seeing, even in the political realm of this pro-life movement. I, you know, I'm 51 years old and I'm a kind of a political junkie and like to follow that. And I, I followed many presidents and senators and representatives, uh, both locally and nationally who have, um, spouted about being pro-life and, and, and fighting and defending the rights of the unborn. But in my 51 years of life, I've never seen any changes. Even when there seems to be opportunity um, nothing seems to be moving forward, which makes me wonder if how many are pandering and leaning and reaching for the vote, which means so much to me. My vote would most likely go along those lines. And yet, if we're honest, we haven't seen a lot of traction or change since Roe v. Wade. Gracie Olmsted goes on to say, many pro-lifers have compared themselves to the 19th century abolitionists. To them, both issues hinge on human dignity and the right to life, liberty, and human flourishing. Both have been unpopular and controversial movements, deeply inspired by moral arguments and financial concerns. But to garner inspiration for their cause, there are perhaps no better example for pro-lifers than William Wilberforce and the English abolitionists of the late 18th and early 19th centuries. In England, during Wilberforce's life, slavery was an accepted practice. While many believed it was wrong, most were willing to turn a blind eye to the trade or declare it a, quote, necessary evil, end quote, for the commonwealth. It is important to note that faced with the passivity and or antagonism of the powerful and influential, Wilberforce and his allies didn't content themselves with advancing a political agenda, and this is key. They focused on the cultural, social, and ideological mores that allowed slavery to exist in the first place. Indeed, the abolitionists turned themselves passionately and primarily to public awareness, cultural causes, and grassroots campaigns. Before Wilberforce ever petitioned Parliament for the abolition of the slave trade, his compatriots had begun working on the hearts and minds of the British people. They knew this was where the battle must begin. My friends, this has become my heart cry, and really, I believe, a central piece for this pushback podcast. As you well know, I don't talk about abortion every week. There are so many cultural issues that face us today and face our children today. And yet we have to see that as an all-encompassing issue, that, that it's, it's about the heart and the minds of the American people and their citizens that allow some of these things to even have an atmosphere to land in. 
How does Roe v. Wade get past 50 years ago in, in a, in a Judeo-Christian culture? It's because of a passivity of mind and heart in its people that allowed it a nest for it to, to lay and to, and to grow and to prosper and persist. So if I can even come every week and, 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 and submit these cultural issues to you so that we can understand it, we can let that germinate in our hearts, and then we can display and, and, and demonstrate that to those in our household and in our community and our neighborhood and ultimately to our region and world. It has to start with the hearts of the people. It has to start with public awareness. See, I believe that this abortion issue and the slave issue are so well linked. And I'm going to give you um, quotes right from the book that I've been reading about William Wilberforce, how it's eerily similar, how the conversations are so similar, and how the heart and drive should be the same today as it was century ago. William Clarkson was one of... Um, one of the compatriots who ran with this cause with William Wilberforce. And he wrote about slavery as an investigative journalist. He exposed the horrors of the Middle Passage, fact by fact, detailing re restraint and torture, abuse and cruelty. He documented the morality, mortality rate of both sailors and slaves aboard ships. He recounted the firsthand accounts of slaves, sailors, and captains who witnessed the system's hideousness. It was real journalism exposing to what actually is happening. I'll get into this more detail in the next couple of weeks, but the abolitionists use art and music powerfully, she goes on to write. Josiah Wedgwood's anti-slavery cameo entitled, Am I Not a Man and a Brother?, became a, a slogan that was used and it was actually turned into brooches and pins. <laughs> we don't really use brooches too much anymore. <laughs> there were posters showing the inhumane treatment and showing the quote-unquote storage systems employed aboard slave ships and they were posted around England. I remember a famous scene from the movie Amazing Grace that I referred to. William Wilberforce actually brings the cultural elite on board one of these ships. And of course, the smell was overwhelming and they tried to cover their mouth with their handkerchiefs and he refused to let them. He said, take down your handkerchiefs and smell this. Smell it. My friends, we need to be so engaged with culture and what is happening in the quiet, silent, unseen rooms in an abortion clinic so they can see it. They can know it. They can smell it. She goes on to write, as they, as they worked to turn public and cultural support in their favor, they slowly sought to move the political ball forward, one year and one bill at a time. But the work was neither easy nor swift. For 20 years, Wilberforce petitioned Parliament to abolish the slave trade, and it took 20 years for that bill to pass, and then another 26 years to abolish slavery as a whole. Nonetheless, those 46 years changed the entire character and moral compass of the nation. The abolitionist accomplishment was monumental. 46 years it took 
of persistence and drive. And they changed the heart of a nation. They had a strategy. They had a plan. And the plan took 46 years. And I believe that it would be very wise of us to look at that plan and strategy that they implemented. Despite all of the opposition, despite all the money and the elite and the status that was against them, they persisted until the hearts of the people changed and it was a new nest, something new that they could settle in. May the force be with you. It's a Wilberforce. He had a plan. He had a strategy. He was intentional. My father would really appreciate that pun, I'm sure. It's a Wilberforce. And we can learn so much. William Wilberforce was such a a moral authority in his time that people would come to him with moral questions and discussions. He was the go-to guy when it came to the heart of the people. Do you want that? My friends, I want that more than anything. I want that. I pray that this podcast could be that. Just one moral discussion that we can start having. So please ask questions so that we can begin discussing about this. I'm not claiming to be William Wilberforce. But I'm willing to be. I'm willing to be. I'm willing to stand in that place for our culture. And I'm willing to engage strategy for the sake of the heart of our nation. We talk about cultural ways on this podcast. The definition of culture is the sum total ways of living passed down from generation to generation. And yet we as Christians are ruled and led by his ways and his ways are higher than our ways. So let's connect to those ways. Let's discuss them. Let's let's bring a moral compass back to our nation. And then when the when the compass begins to shift and begins to turn, then the culture and the atmosphere and the climate will be right for big change such as abortion. She goes on to write and conclude, if we're going to compare the pro-life movement to the abolitionist cause, we're going to need leaders like Wilberforce, leaders whose integrity extends beyond the shallow posturing into every facet of our lives. We are going to need more than just partisan politicians. We're going to need tender culture warriors. Tender culture warriors. Oh, my friends, let's be that. Let's do that. The country needs us. We can't rely on politicians. They need us in our everyday. She says, because pro-lifers won't be able to win votes unless... And until they win over hearts and minds, until they 
to demonstrate themselves to be the conscience of the nation. Whoa, good words, powerful words, transforming words. I want to be that man. Will you join me? Can we lean into the Wilberforce? (laughs) It's the spirit of Christ that was in him that drove him. Those that learn from history are doomed to repeat it. I'm sorry, say that again. Those that fail to learn from history are doomed to repeat it. Those that learn from history are destined to make it. I believe abortion is the greatest civil rights issue of our lifetime. And we will be judged by future generations. So please engage in these next podcast or casts. I don't know how many it will be. As we lay out a strategy, it's straight from the life of William Wilberforce and his team. But we are faced with that again. And so I hope you're curious what some of those strategies were and how it worked and what we can do on a day-to-day basis. So I hope that inspires you. I hope it stirs something in you as we go together now to set and shape the culture.